Okay, so I'm going to start with um, invocation prayers and then we'll, we'll dive in today. Oh, manana timirandasya, nyananjana shalataya, chakshurum militum yena tasna shri guru venamaha. Siddhanto palasaranityarasikam hangsang vilasatmakam adaryakya siddhama sevakadanam vishrambhabhakti pradam yakya yakti vichakshanam thakavito vishishta shakya sada vandayam triparari namakayatim shrivati vedantinam vanchakalpatarubhyascha kripasindubhyevacha patitanam bhavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha Ajanolambita bujau, Kanakabatata, Sankirtanai Kapitaro, Kamalaya Taksho, Vishwambarao, Tvijavaro, Yuka Dharma Palao, Vandejaga Priyakaro, Karuna Vataro, Vandeshu Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Zodito, Buddhae Pushpavanto, Chitra Shando Tumonado, Vandehong Shri Ramakrishna Abaya Charana Sukau, Sukado Paramananda, Sundaro, Sukalao Priyo, Hey Krishna Karuna Sindhu. Dina Bandu Jagapate, Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namastute, Tapta Kanchana Gorangi, Rade Vrindavaneshwari, Krishabhanu Sute Devi, Pranamami Hari Priye, Vandana Karite Mui, Tata Shakti Dari, Tamo Budido Shemui, Dambamatra Kori, Tatapi Mukera Bhagya Manera Ulas, Doshakshami Modame Koroni Jatas. Krishna, welcome everybody. Uh, good to see you all. Oh, I think I just got to pin myself as well. And then uh, I'll get going. Okay, then. So, um, so welcome. We're on part two of um, Krishna's uh, Descent into the World, if you will. Um, so as I was saying last week, uh, we're exploring chapter four and different ways that, um, that Krishna makes his appearance uh in this world in this series so uh there are many many different ways that krishna appears in the world as we know and last time we started to discuss um parampara which is one of the ways that krishna descends into this world um especially in terms of knowledge of krishna but of course knowledge of krishna like his name is non-different in some ways um so it comes through his devotees appearing in the guru parampara one teacher after another and we were discussing how this teaching is imperishable, uh, it's eternal. And so this system uh, by, which, uh, that by which Krishna keeps this eternal knowledge uh, in the world is through this, this parampara system. And we discussed how the essence stays the same, uh, even though the form may change at times. And we're gonna go a bit more into that today as well. Um, but one main, main point, I guess, from last time is there's no meaning to an end of parampara because it means one after another. And it's one way that Krishna is always present in the world, actually. It's not that sometimes Krishna is in the world, sometimes he's not, but actually he's always present in the world. And so it's significant uh, that just before speaking about his appearance in the world, he speaks about Guru Parampara or disciplic succession because the topics are deeply related. It said there are um, four main lineages, for example, from which many branches, many, many, many branches grow. Uh, and Krishna is the head of all of them. And through those lineages, knowledge of Krishna is revealed by the, by the devotees that appear in that lineage. So uh, to continue today, although we said it's important to understand that parampara is ongoing, that there's never an end to the parampara system, 
it's worth exploring why Krishna says that sometimes uh, the science appears to be lost, actually, uh, and it needs revitalizing. So it seems kind of a contradiction, right? Um, I know, but I'm sure I'm sure we can all think of instances where we we can see this happen. You know, in a general sense, the true purpose of yoga uh, becomes improperly interpreted in many cases. So it becomes more an exercise, or these kind of things. It kind of loses uh, the the tradition. That to initially and so we so we see yoga teachers lacking uh, philosophical foundations sometimes and we may even see this in our own lineage uh in in Gaudiya Vaishnavism at times so it seems kind of contradictory to what Krishna was saying if the parampara system is an ongoing affair um so I'm really fond uh of an insight that our Guru Maharaj uh brings out in his commentary uh where where he speaks about uh, the implications of what Krishna says when um, he says that time obscures the teaching in verse 4-2. He says, Kalena, in the course of time. So there, uh, in that commentary, uh, our Guru Maharaj writes, Later in the Gita, Krishna identifies time, described here as the influence under which the essential message of the lineage is obscured with himself. Thus, the hand of God is as much involved in obscuring the lineage as it is in establishing it. So we know later in, in the Gita, I'm sure uh, you're all familiar, or most of you will be familiar with um, the 11th chapter where Krishna says, time I am, destroyer of the worlds, right? It's quite a fi famous quote from the Gita. So Krishna both establishes the prampara, but also covers the message of the prampara as well in the form of time. And it makes sense when you think about it, right, that if God is all powerful, we, we often speak about how God is all powerful, right? And so if he's all powerful and he shares his teaching with the world, then who or what has the power to interrupt that message and the flow of that message? Uh, surely no one but Krishna himself has the power to interrupt his own influence. So he does that actually, as, as we were just speaking about there in, in the form of time, but he, so he does it in another way that he appears in this world. And that's another way that Krishna appears in this world is in the form of time. So something eternal and imperishable, which we established last week, and is coming from Krishna, it can only be obscured by Krishna himself. So the natural question that follows is why? <laughs> it seems like, you know, why, why does he do that? And there, there are a few reasons, uh, I'm sure there are many, many more reasons even than what we will discuss, but we're going to discuss a few reasons uh, why that's the case. And one is that it brings serious understanding and new insights as a consequence. So as time covers the teaching, serious practitioners they have to think deeply about how it applies in, in the current circumstances so they can revive it um you know this process of covering and reviving it's an ongoing thing it's not something that happens at one time and then everything is fine and we see that even today that social considerations they've changed so much from when when even Srila Prabhupada spread the teaching throughout the west and we know that he made many adjustments uh, to different details when he started the mo his movement here. So this, this need to alter, it happens every generation. And we can see if we really study uh, the example of different Acharyas in different generations, it happens in many different ways in different times. The essence of the lineage is re-explained in ways that are irrelevant for this time and circumstance. 
And so just as the world is dynamic, it's always changing under the influence of time. Uh, so is the presentation of the teaching. So these great souls uh, that Krishna has been referring to, who make up the parampara, the Raja Rishis, uh, they, they separate the essence from the relative, you know, the substance from the form, uh, the principle from the details, you know, these, these kind of ideas, um, so that the principle can be delivered, even while the details are changed at times. So it's time that distorts the, uh, the representation of the teaching, but also Krishna himself breathes new life into the system by empowering or sending another representative. So it's Krishna through his devotees uh, who is bringing out more from the teaching to make it relevant in the time. And, and as we know, you know, the way people think about things changes. So it might require different vocabulary, for example, or new light shed on certain aspects of the teaching, whereas other aspects of the teaching may have been emphasized at different times. Um, so, but they don't modify the intrinsic meaning of, of the eternal principles. You know, they don't change the essential characteristic, but there are innovations. And so to be able to do this, to shed new light, Someone has to have understood and realized this teaching on a really deep level. This, this is what gives them the ability to represent the same jewel from a different angle and have the same potency by the blessings of the previous teachers. Um, and we're going we're gonna to explore that more today also. So this, but this need to think and deeply reflect on, on the teaching, uh, new insights will come out because we can't know everything about he who is unlimited, for example. We know Krishna is unlimited, ever expanding these kind of ideas, right? And so there will always be new things to realize about Krishna. So one of my favorite sections early in the um, Chaitanya Bhagavat, uh, and it, it stuck with me for a long time, actually. Um, it, it's from the first chapter, but it's very sweet. Um, so I, I'd like to share that. It's a verse described, some series of verses describing Anadashesh. Uh, and it brings out some of these ideas too. So it's in the Adi Leela of the Chaitanya Bhagavat, and it goes as follows. Lord Anantadev, the original Supreme Personality and maintainer of the entire cosmic manifestation, incessantly sings in glorification of Lord Krishna. He continuously describes every aspect of the Lord's divine attributes. Lord Krishna is eternal and his attributes are unending. Therefore, he can never be fully described or glorified, but Ananta is also eternal, and his ability to glorify the Lord is unending. In their divine relationship, neither is ever victorious. Even today, Ananta Shesha's thousand mouths continuously sing the glories of the Supreme Lord Krishna Chaitanya. How wonderfully Lord Krishna and Lord Balaram compete with each other. Brahma, Shiva, other demigods, and the perfected sages look on, feeling great exhilaration. The eulogies of Anantadev pursue the ever-expanding, elusive shores of Lord Krishna's ocean of qualities. So uh, I'm sure you'll agree. It's a very, very beautiful description, very charming description. I really like this point that Krishna and Balaram are competing with, with each other, you know, new pastimes, new qualities or expanding in this way. And so more need to glorify, more need to glorify. Um, so a great need for devotees, actually. <laughs> so um, I really like that this point that it brings out that even God himself in the form of Ananta can't sing all the glories of Krishna. So 
this is one reason, you know, apart from the new insights um, that are inspired by Krishna's covering the teaching with time, uh, there, there are other reasons too. There's another sweet reason, and that is Krishna's very playful. And I guess that's reflected in this, what we just read there too, that it's a play with his devotees as well. The Krishna is a playful person. And, and so we see that playful nature come out in this parampara process. Uh, a devotee shares Krishna's teaching, and then Krishna obscures some parts of that teaching so that another devotee can come and shine new light on it uh, and shine new light on what previous teachers have shared and so on. So Krishna likes this, you know, showcasing the way our Guru Maharaj sometimes describes it, he's showcasing his different devotees. And we see this happen uh, in this play. And so uh, to be such a person who represents the previous teachers in this kind of substance, uh, what one has to be really conformed with the will of Krishna, with the will of the absolute, which as we discussed is dynamic, it's not a static thing. So our Guru Maharaj, he points out in his commentary, uh, the mystery of Guru Parampara is that while it suggests conformity to a lineage dating into antiquity, at the same time, its spirit is that of non-conformity. Becoming a member, one conforms with the absolute, the supreme non-conformist, who is absolutely independent. To be in the Guru Parampara, one must sometimes leave what appears to be the lineage. One must distinguish between the form and substance of the tradition. Thus, we find the most prominent members of the lineage are involved in renovation of the tradition, revealing its truth in a way relevant to time and circumstance, such that often those who are members in form only cannot appreciate them. To recognize reformers of the mission, practitioners themselves must also become essence seekers on a deeper level and thus remain vital in their practice. Failure to do so involves a break from the tradition despite superficial adherence to its external symbols. So, although the Guru Parampara is a group, it's a chain of teachers, as we know, uh, one, one has the independence that, you know, sometimes we hear about uh, genuine spiritual life means real independence and these kind of things. And so part of that meaning is that one's not bound by the chains of the material world because they've conquered the mind and senses like we discussed last week. So they can break the form that the teaching was previously given in because uh, they really conform to the essence. They're not, they're not following the whims of the mind and senses. And we know for those familiar with nectar of instruction, for example, Upadesha Amrita, that um, there's that verse that a sober person who can tolerate the urge to speak, the mind's demands, the actions of anger, and the urges of the tongue, belly, and genitals is qualified to make disciples all over the world. So these teachers, they force us to think and they energize us into making progress and changing those things that need to be changed in ourselves. They know Krishna's arrangement, uh, you know, to change the circumstances, for example, in the form of time. And so the teacher can change the details that don't fit with that time and circumstance. But if we're attached to previous representations, it can be unsettling. But hopefully this unsettled feeling, it will push us uh, to look more for the essence of the teaching. And so we do find, you know, sometimes people will complain about the changes to the form because they may even seem revolutionary maybe because they've not looked deeper into the essence themselves or they're, or they're quite attached to the form. And we've seen this, as I mentioned earlier, in all our previous acharyas, they have criticism from the society they were in. 
include, including Srila Prabhupada. He had a lot of criticism from his contemporaries and God brothers for various reasons. So these understandings of Krishna being both the reviver of the teaching as well as the coverer, they're important for us to go deeper and keep progressing. I, I've heard our Guru Maharaj uh, make the point that in time, another form will, will form around new insights. So even though there will be new insights each generation and these kind of things, then another form will form around those new insights and people will become attached to that new form, that new shape. And so once again, missing the essence that brought out those insights in the first place. So I think this is one reason that our Guru Maharaj, he often emphasized that he's not teaching us what to think, but he's teaching us how to think about the philosophy. And so then the next representatives, they're representatives because they can shed new light on the teaching according to the time and place. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, you know, this sweet idea, it's really Krishna's play that Krishna likes to play hide and seek. So he reveals himself and then he covers himself in different ways, in a dynamic way, just as time changes the world in every second like that. So Krishna obscures the teaching and then he shines a new light on it. But it's true, of course, there is just uh, as a bit of a side note, I get it, guess it's true that, you know, the teachers do conform to the essence of the sacred texts, for example. So even though Krishna is independent, he also makes clear that there's a lot to be understood from the sacred texts about him. Uh, you know, the insights that have come before, because that's what the Shastra really is, uh, a collection, you could say, of insights that have come before about the absolute. So. Krishna himself follows the Shastra, and so he's naturally the representative of the um, of it all, but also the, the, guru, the representative, current representative of the Guru Parampara also um, follows the Shastra. You know, they know the conclusion of the Shastra. They follow that. They, they don't just follow the mind and senses. So sometimes, you know, gurus may take this or, you know, we, we might be premature in, in embracing these ideas. And yes, I'm, I'm a renegade. Uh, and disregard the Shastra. I, I, I've seen that happen. Um, but it, that may mean that the per, such a person may not really be a genuine Parampara representative, let's say. Uh, you know, they may be a devotee of sorts, but not really representing the Parampara in the way Krishna speaks about it. And so we know in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, for example, when Srila Rupa Goswami, he describes um, Adhikar or qualification, even in Sadhana Bhakti, when he's speaking about Sadhana Bhakti, he defines uh, Adhikar um, to be of two qualities, and that's the depth of one's uh, Shraddha or faith, and this Shastric understanding or ability to think about the Shastra properly, Shastra Yukti. So, um, as our Guru Maharaj pointed out in the excerpt we read, so really recognize such a person, to recognize a genuine reformer, then we, we ourselves have to become essence seekers, even as practitioners. Uh, this is part of our process, because we may have external symbols and activities, and they can be very beautiful and very useful. Uh, certainly, they shouldn't be rejected. Um, but we, sh we, we should recognize, though, that to really be connected, we have to go beyond just conforming with those external symbols. Like Krishna um, and the members of the Prampara, uh, the representatives of the Prampara, we also want to remain dynamic. We, we don't want to be stagnant, uh, even in our understandings and these kind of things. Um, because if someone is too attached to the form and they miss the essence, uh, and, and especially the essence that attracted them in the first place that caused them to take up the teaching, 
then they may misunderstand, you know, those the current links in the parampara that are bringing out these things. Because Krishna is trying to bring out, remember, in terms of what we were speaking about earlier, Krishna is trying to bring more of the teaching out through them, through these personalities. But the change of details sometimes can make it a bit difficult to embrace it. So it's important for us as practitioners to remember that revelation or, or the descent of Krishna, the descent of the absolute into this relative world, it, that is dynamic also, and it's ever growing, it's ever fresh. It's not something that we'll just capture in the head. You know, our Guru Maharaj often emphasizes this point that we need to use our heads, but we should always be aware that it's only through humility, uh, recognizing that we can't figure everything out in our head, capturing it in it capture it in our head, uh, you know, that when, when we really have that kind of humility, that we'll, we'll really make more progress. And so think back to the second chapter, when we, uh, you study the second chapter, you know, Krishna there, he pointed out that even the soul, even the Atma, the individual Atma is not measurable. Uh, he, he said this in the second chapter. So what to speak about the source of all Atmas, you know, there, there's always more to be said about the absolute. And so as Krishna sheds new light through his devotees, we, we, we have to grow with that also, and it, it will force us to become more introspective too. <clears throat> so this, this leads and connects to another interesting point about this principle of divine descent, uh, especially in regards to the parampara, that this, <clears throat> this play between revelation and obscuring it's not just something that happens in the parampara uh, on a global level, let's say, like the global representation, but it also happens in our own lives um, as sadhakas or as practitioners, that sometimes we can go through, through the motions, we do, do the externals properly, but we lose focus on, on the spirit of the teaching. Uh, and this is natural especially in earlier stages, because we have a tendency to, to focus on the external world more than, than the internal world. We, we have this um, sensual orientation in life, an external orientation in life, because we're so used to living, living through the senses. And, and so it's very easy to become distracted by our material conditioning, even on a subtle level. And, and this can distract us from the true meaning of the teaching that it that inspired us at different times to really take up the teaching very seriously. And the more we're under, under the influence of the mind and senses, the more easily it will be to become attached to the external representation. And this is why those Raja Rishis are members of the Prampara. Again, they're, they're kings of the mind and senses, as we discussed last time. So we're also encouraged to gradually conquer our minds and senses more and more, especially through the power of bhakti, which engages our mind and senses in, in many wonderful and beautiful ways, actually. And so we want to practice having full attention to these practices, really putting our hearts into them, as well as our bodies, as much as possible. Because our philosophy is especially really vast. It's very deep, as we know. Uh, even you just have to watch a few sessions on uh, this type of a vague series to, to see that, how, how many angles you can come from, how, how many aspects of the philosophy there are, and so on. And it can be easy to think that just because we have some intellectual understanding, you know, that we've mastered them, but maybe we've not really applied them fully in our own lives. And I, speaking personally, I, I certainly have that experience. Uh, I feel that my, my theoretical knowledge, it really outweighs my practical experience in, in so many ways and in so many different areas. But there's hope, of course, because those devotees 
who have realized the topics through applying them, they can help us go deeper and to try to realize more, more of the teaching for ourselves beyond the theoretical level. And another reason why Sadhu Sangha is so emphasized um, by our teachers um, as being a very powerful process to make advancement. And so, of course, it is useful to have some philosophical understanding, especially in our Sangha, we, we find that we're encouraged to understand the Siddhanta to the best of our intellectual capabilities. But the end result should be that it fuels our practice, our bhajan, our, our own absorption in the practices of bhakti. It's good to read, but we want that information to fuel our practices so we can progress closer to practicing uh, in, in, in a pure way, to chanting Shuddhanam, the pure name, you know, as we've been hearing in recent classes last month and so on. And, you know, for example, it's useful to, to know the 10 offenses to the holy name so we can be aware of them understand what what can block our progress in our, in our chanting but just to know them without actually working to rectify them also in ourselves it's not as powerful as embracing them fully in our own practice or at least walking in that direction um, so by being connected with these representatives of the parampara it can help bring out what we read also or even show different ways of thinking about what we read in such a way that like i was saying it forces us to think more deeply and become more committed in our own practice and the way we apply that information so this is also a way that krishna descends into this world uh, to help us and just as the parampara needs new life injected into it um, you know as time progresses Krishna also is revitalizing the spirit of the teaching in our own lives so we can make further progress. Uh, so many things have changed in our own lives. You know, that's often pointed out that the environment's different, you know, the society, the world in general, but also our own kind of internal lives, even on, on the mental platform or intellectual platform, right? There are our own minds continue to change as they mature and they grow in different ways. So there's also a need for Krishna to push us through his devotees to think about the teaching in the different ways and, and, and consider how it does apply practically today in our lives today, which may be different um, as, as in different stages of our life too. Because, you know, we may have first come in touch with the teaching five, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, or whatever the case may be for us individually. But so much has changed in ourselves and society. So it's, it's not just that the teaching is broken and renewed in history, but hopefully, given the dynamic nature of Krishna, it will keep being renewed over and over in our own lives and help us to understand and think about it from many angles, uh, giving us deeper insights and have our hearts changing so we can also become members of the Prampara ourselves in a more and more substantial way. And so, um, He's being initiated into that parampara in one sense by Krishna. And in verse three, Krishna gives the reason that Arjuna is qualified. So Krishna highlights two particular qualities and they aren't the mastery over the mind and senses, uh, even though Arjuna has that too. And we saw that in the previous verse uh, for two, Krishna used the name Parantapa, which means uh, one who destroys enemies. And he was stating that Arjuna could destroy mind and senses. But Krishna points out in 4.3 that it's Arjuna's friendship and devotion towards him. That's the reason he's sharing transcendental knowledge with him. So Krishna has spoken about great kings, the Rajarishis, 
And Arjuna is a naturally humble devotee, so he wouldn't even put himself on the same platform as these kings that Krishna has mentioned. And so Krishna makes really clear to him that what really draws him to share knowledge about himself is devotion. So, that, and interestingly, this is the first time that we find this term bhakti, or, or here it's uh, bhakto, but the first time we find this word here in the Bhagavad Gita. So just before Krishna is about to open up and share knowledge about himself, and even though he will be a bit more explicit about this in a few verses, in this verse, in verse three, three Krishna is making clear that what brings him here is devotion. He's sharing knowledge with Arjuna. He's sharing his secrets because Arjuna is Krishna's devotee and friend. Arjuna is someone who has the power to draw new insights from Krishna, not because he's a king, not because he, even he's a Raja Rishi in one sense of the term, but because of the inner devotion, which as a side note, will also lead one to be a king of the mind and senses, the more it grows in us. So Bhakti is mentioned uh, for the first time here. And it's not that we shouldn't try to practice some restraint, of course, we, you know, we are encouraged in that direction too. We don't want to be slaves to the mind and senses. And we did see Krishna use the name Parantapa, as I mentioned. But the more our mind and senses are restrained through bhakti practices, the more we're going to be able to recognize Krishna coming to us uh, in the world uh, in, in so many different ways, actually, but especially through the person of the guru. Sometimes I've heard our Guru Maharaj, he, he makes the point that the secret to finding a qualified guru actually is qualifying ourselves. Uh, and so Nam, for example, the holy name, this is available to everyone. So if someone takes serious shelter of Nam, a practice of bhakti, the better one's eyes will be in seeing Krishna coming through the guru. But it's the bhakti that brings this out, especially the affection that we have for Krishna and his associates. And we see Arjuna and Krishna, they have a very affectionate relationship. And as another aside, um, we know from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, this is the way that one takes shelter of, of the Guru too, with confidence and intimacy, Vishrambhena Guru Seva. So Krishna will speak more about the Guru uh, later in this chapter as well. But the point here in terms of the, the, these sessions is that Krishna is sharing with Arjuna because he's someone who is favorable to him, that Krishna is going to share some secrets about himself. He uses the term rahasya, which means mystery or secret. So this knowledge that Krishna is sharing is rare. And just like we generally will only share confidential things about ourselves with our friends, for example, it's also the case uh, for Krishna as well. So devotion is that primary quality that makes a person receptive to spiritual wisdom. We, we need to inquire, we need to use our intelligence, we need to have some control of the mind to be able to scrutinize what we learn, to make sure we understand it properly. And all these things, they're necessary in the search for truth. But the mind and heart, they also have to be open. We, we want, that's why often, you know, we, we speak about wanting Krishna to break down our walls, you know, so we may understand him. Uh, and this comes through an affectionate approach. So Arjuna, as I was saying, he may wonder why Krishna is sharing the wisdom with him. He's naturally humble, even though he's actually a great warrior in his own right. He really does fit in, in the category of the personalities that Krishna has mentioned so far. Uh, but Arjuna wouldn't put himself in that category. So again, Krishna highlights bhakti is the reason. 
Because only if Krishna wants us to know him, can we really know him. Just like I was speaking earlier on Parampara, only if Krishna uh, wants to break the flow of his own input into the world, if you will, in the form of Parampara, can there be any blockage to the Parampara? Simil similarly, you know, if, if Krishna wants us to know him, we, we can really know him. And so the causeless nature of devotion, it's... It, which we know it has the power to control Krishna, it has its free independent nature. We find this um, in texts like Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, and it's a whole other topic. You could have a whole series on that. Uh, and I think um, Padmanabha Maharaj's uh, latest book uh, goes quite, quite a lot into these topics, um, the nature of Bhakti and its independent nature. But um, it is this Bhakti that attracts Krishna. And so if Krishna is attracted to a devotee, this is how they become part of the parampara and become ultimately representatives of the parampara. It's the strength of their devotion that draws more and more secrets out of Krishna, if you will. And so then these people, these devotees, being naturally compassionate, they share that devotion with others who may not have those things. So they too can embrace bhakti and, and attract Krishna themselves. Um, you know, the, the more the more we give ourselves to the practice, not just externally, but within our hearts, the, the more we will realize about Krishna also. And so naturally, the more we'll be able to help others, you know, share insights and so on, uh, and help their pursuit of Krishna, um, just as we're being helped in our own pursuit. And we'll explore this more next time, how it, it is bhakti that brings Krishna into the world in the first place. Um, you know, we know from other studies, Krishna never leaves the company of Bhakti Devi, the goddess of devotion. But although we'll explore that more in relation to Krishna speaking about this point himself, for now, in relation to Arjuna receiving the teaching in the Parampara, we should know Arjuna is that type of person who attracts Krishna into the world. He has bhakti. And so in the thir third verse, Krishna points this out. And this is why he will share the rest of what he speaks in the Gita with Arjuna. I really like a point that our Guru Maharaj makes in relation um, to Krishna speaking about Arjuna here in this third verse. Because uh, Krishna, you know, we, we know Arjuna thinks of Krishna as extraordinary. You know, we see that later in the Gita. Uh, he speaks about how wonderful Krishna is in different ways, especially, uh, you know, when he sees the universal form and so on. And Krishna here is saying to Arjuna that although he thinks of Krishna as extraordinary, actually Krishna thinks of Arjuna as extraordinary, that how many people think of me in the way that you do, you know, how many people think of Krishna like Arjuna does with real love and affection. And so Krishna says, therefore, I'm sharing my secrets with you. And although one of the um, purposes for Krishna explaining the parampara was to deepen Arjuna's faith in the teaching, as we discussed last week um, in relation to its history, we also, uh, well, we, we didn't discuss this last week actually, but it also creates some confusion in Arjuna. And this leads to the question uh, that Arjuna asks in the fourth verse. Um, you know, Arjuna has practically grown up with Krishna, so it doesn't make sense that Krishna would have instructed the sun god uh, 120 million years before. Um, and if he had in a previous life, he wouldn't remember it because it's unusual to remember one's previous life, even if there may be some exceptions. So this sets the stage for Krishna to explain the nature of his coming to the world, the nature of his divine descent. So as a side note, uh, I'm full of side notes also, sorry, <laughs> but although a good teacher will clear our doubts, they'll, they'll also create new ones. 
and, and that will force us uh, to think more deeply about the philosophy. And of course, that ties into what we were discussing earlier on. So this allows us to grow and go into deeper territories of knowledge so that the way they explain things, it may answer our questions. I'm sure we've all had this experience that our questions are answered, but then it leads to new questions. And we see this is happening with our Arjuna. And so we should expect this on our journey uh, because there's, like I was saying earlier, there's always more to say about the teaching. The Krishna is dynamic. He's ever fresh. So it, it must be the case. The guru and the sadhus, they cause us to think and even challenge our understanding. So we have this opportunity for growth. And this is the nature of being in touch with the absolute, even in this world. It's never boring, but it's actually very exciting if we can remain flexible and open for growth. And so another thing we should note uh, before, we, before we wrap up is in our school, the Gaudiya commentators, they often emphasize that although Arjuna asks this question, he actually does know Krishna was the supreme. Uh, unlike the Vrajbasis even, you know, the Vrajbasis, they still forget Krishna is God, uh, even in the presence of the Aishvarya Shakti, uh, because the Madhurya, Shakti, the Madhurya Shakti is so strong in them. The Madhurya uh, overwhelms any, any knowledge of his godhood or makes them see it as insignificant, as, as we discussed in, in previous series. Um, that Aishvarya Shakti, sorry, being the energy that displays his godhood. So Arjuna does see Krishna as God, actually, as well as his friend. And so one way to understand, of course, we were given in the first chapter that Arjuna uh, was put under a mystic covering. Sometimes that's brought out um, because, as we know, Arjuna actually experienced many divine leelas with Krishna prior to the battle of Kurukshetra because he is a great devotee and eternal friend of Krishna. Um, you know, there's that pastime um, where Krishna took Arjuna to Vaikuntha, for example. They were trying to retrieve a Brahman, the Brahmana's children. They had left, the, this Brahmana had some children that left their body prematurely. And so they went to seek out those children. And so they actually went to Vaikuntha. Um, and there they saw Mahavishnu, who had actually taken the children, because, uh, and the whole purpose behind it was that Mahavishnu, he wanted to take darshan of Krishna himself, because of, uh, not just Krishna, actually, but Krishna with Arjun. He wanted to see Krishna and Arjun together. So um, it was a, a bit of a ploy from uh, Mahavishnu. Uh, and so um, Arjuna also, apart from that, you know, there are many pastimes like that we find, but Arjuna also had heard about Krishna's position from Bhishma uh, during the, the Rajasuya sacrifice of Yudhishthir. So Arjuna knew something of Krishna's godhood even prior to the Gita being spoken. So apart from the mystic covering, uh, really, Arjuna is asking for our benefit uh, so others can understand something of Krishna's position too. In his commentary, uh, Madhvacharya, he points out that uh, in the Agni Purana, uh, the purpose of inquiry from persons of wisdom is to reconfirm the knowledge of eternal principles that they already possess and also to offer additional clarification. So this question from Arjuna, it opens the door for Krishna to talk about his own transcendental nature and his position. Uh, like I was mentioning earlier, devotees bring knowledge of Krishna into the world, uh, especially in relation to the parampara, and they also spread it around. So Arjuna, by his question, he draws out so much knowledge of Krishna. And apart from being for the benefit of others, 
it gives Krishna that opportunity to speak directly about himself, especially his omniscience and eternality, which may not be able to be appreciated by everyone, even at the time on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. So Arjuna is asking for clarification. You know, are you omniscient? Are you eternal? So he's actually serving Krishna in this way too, because Krishna is not proud. As we know, he's very humble. He, he doesn't just want to speak about his own qualities just for the sake of speaking about them. But as we were speaking about last week, they, they are necessary to understand, especially in regards to bhakti. Uh, and he, he'll elaborate on these things later because Krishna is the object of bhakti. So we have to understand something about him. So we can look at Arjuna's question in different ways, actually. It's quite sweet that we, we can see it as Krishna. He's expertly creating a doubt in Arjuna. And so this is to draw out these topics. So there's a chance for Krishna to explain more about himself and so on. But we can also see it as Arjuna offering a great Krishna uh, and also to ourselves uh, by providing this opportunity. Um, so you know, because it, generally it is easy to speak about ourselves, I'm sure we all understand that and have that experience, but we also know it, it doesn't usually benefit anyone else, uh, and, uh, at least outside the context of bhakti. Of course, it's nice to speak with devotees, you know, about our journeys in bhakti and these kind of things. But, you know, in terms of like our material possessions and qualities, uh, they're, they're all temporary and they're all gone by the influence of time. You know, it's quite fundamental in spiritual knowledge. But even at least speaking personally, we, we, we know about these things, but it, and it's easy to speak about these things, um, generally just, you know, for the love of speaking about ourselves or bringing attention for ourselves and these kind of, kind of things. But Krishna doesn't have that kind of quality. He's different when he speaks about himself. Um, it has some benefits uh, for others, you know, and it actually benefit, benefits anyone who hears it. So it, he's not coming from a place of pride or, or something temporary even, you know, because he really possesses these qualities. They're not temporary attributes. He really is wonderful and great and all the things we're going to hear about him in the Gita. But he hasn't said anything about himself so far, as we know. Uh, you know, up until now in chapter four, he, he, he said, hasn't said anything actually, really. Um, you know, there are some things maybe indirectly, but nothing, nothing directly about himself. Because again, his nature isn't to uh, put himself forward. So Arjuna has to draw that out of him by his question. And Krishna doesn't gain anything, um, but he only does it for the pleasure of his devotees. As we know, it's not just devotees serve Krishna, but actually Krishna serves his devotees. And so if a devotee wants to hear about him, then, then he satisfies that. And so Arjuna wants to hear more. And so Krishna satisfies that. Um, so here he's doing that for the pleasure of Arjuna. He's answering his question. So we should be really thank thankful to Arjuna actually also, because if he didn't ask uh, his question, Krishna may not have spoken what is to come otherwise. And we, we also have that experience, right? I, I know I personally had that experience. Uh, we have these nice Swami calls on the Sunday, right? Where Guru Maharaj answers many different questions. And I, I love hearing all the different kinds of questions. And sometimes devotees will ask questions that I, didn't even, I wouldn't even think to ask, but it brings out so many things uh, that actually I really needed to hear, you know? So it's a really beautiful process, actually, this question answer um, dynamic. And so again, it's Krishna's devotees that bring Krishna into this world. And we'll, we'll, we'll see this theme come up again next week. And devotees are naturally eager to hear more about Krishna. So although these first six chapters, they are more about 
you know, our position in the world. They're more about self-realization, getting free from the bondage of karma and these kind of things. Thanks to Arjuna's question, uh, we'll see Krishna speaking more about himself, actually, his own nature. So bringing some God realization into, into the discussion, which obviously actors is more important for us because self-realization is naturally included in that. And so uh, this subject of Krishna's descent uh, it's, it's naturally important uh, for the main topic which of this chapter, which of course is Jnan, um, you know, knowledge, uh, realized transcendental knowledge. Um, and so Krishna is the be-all and end-all of knowledge. So it's important in that context. But for bhakti yogis, Krishna is more than that, as we were discussing, you know, he's the object of devotion. So we need to know some, something about him. So we, we will see... Um, Krishna speak more in, in these ways, indirectly, in upcoming verses. Um, and, and really, they're kind of a hint to more what he will bring out in the middle six chapters. And so next week, I'll wrap up now, but next week we'll uh, look more at this point that it's bhakti that brings Krishna into this world. We'll see, see how Krishna speaks about this in, in some ways. And uh, just as we see Arjuna bringing knowledge of Krishna into this world by his devotion, we'll see Krishna himself explain these points in different ways, including how he's personally drawn into this world. So with that, I'm, I'm going to stop and uh, open up if anyone uh, has anything they'd like to share from today's session or has any uh, corrections or questions, uh, please feel free to unmute yourself. Um, thank you. How are you today? I'm good, thank you, Krishna Kumari. How are you? I'm good. I just wanted to um, say, gosh, there were so many wonderful points in your class today. And the one thing that I wrote down that really um, kind of was um, a realization for me is like how um, Prabhupada said, everything is in my books. Mm. And it, I'm just seeing that through a whole different lens from your classes. Um, it, you know, sometimes devotees of that generation will, you ask a question or want to bring up a point and they'll just say everything is in Prabhupada's books and that's the answer, right? right? And so, you know, from what you were saying about the Parampara and um, how the knowledge is passed down, um, that, you know, it does bring serious understandings and revisions to our, the current times, like you were saying, and how the mm. presentation is constantly changing. That's, um, that's how it should be, in my mind anyway, and mm. um, that the basic principles aren't modified, but it really does help us to think um, and deeply reflect on the teachings. And, and like you were saying, how is that relevant to me and how is that relevant to our movement? Um, mm. And it, it's not that we just stay stuck in um, the same way of thinking, but that each guru, each person in the Prampara has a different perspective because we're all different individuals and we're mm. going to, to present things in, in a way that, um, you know, you may present something that someone might hear in a different way and I might hear in a different way, but it's all relevant to ourselves and to mm. our process. Um, and so, and at the end, you were talking about how it deepens our faith. And I think that's the main thing um, is that we 
you know, not be attached to the mind and the senses and try to get outside of that in the way that we look at the teachings and who's presenting it and how it's being presented um, to be able to deepen our faith. And so I'm really appreciating um, the class today and some of the um, realizations that I've had. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Krishna Kumari. I really appreciate you sharing your appreciations too and, and realizations, very wonderful realizations. Uh, I, li I like a lot of the points you brought out. I, you know, I, I like this, like you say, often I, I've had this experience too, you know, the answer to many questions is, well, it's all in Prabhupada's books. But, you know, as you know very well uh, from what you shared there also, you know, when we look at, you know, the movement, uh, you know, even every, everyone who's you know diehard Srila Prabhupada follower, there are so many different understandings of what Prabhupada wanted, for example, you know, what the most important things that are emphasized in his books and these kind of things. We see it just practically on a on a practical level, that kind of aspect. But you it, it's it's kind of difficult to just say it's all in Prabhupada's books because like you like we see, many people interpret those things in different ways, uh, and then hence even even just take within ISKCON alone. There are many, you know, there's a, there's a very um, conservative side. There's there's a you know liberal side. You got Krishna West, then you got like Ritikism. You got this, you got that. So they, practically speaking, they all got Prabhupada's books at the center. But obviously, there, there's something more to it than that too. So I, I really like this example. You may have heard before. Um, our Guru Maharaj often makes the point that. Sometimes Srila Prabhupada, you know, he would he would say that his devotees should treat his books like uh, law books, you know, that they should really understand the books like a lawyer understands the law books. But obviously, and our Guru Maharaj kind of expands on that and 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 makes the point that if we if we think about that analogy properly, uh, lawyers will reinterpret the the the, the laws in different ways um, as necessary for the case at hand, you know. So um, sometimes they will draw something for something uh, to make clear, you know, this is maybe this law needs adjusting even, or this this and these kind of things, or um, this is relevant in this case. So it's I, I really like that example and understanding of understanding Prabhupada's books and. Uh, yeah, it really connects with that. And like you say, ultimately, the purpose of it all should be deep, deepening our shraddha, right? Deepening our shraddha and our understanding ourselves for sure. So yeah, thank, thanks, Krishna Kumari. Anyone else have anything they'd like to share before we, uh, we wrap up? Okay, well, Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. Good to, good to see you all and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you.